0: Yeah, I know they took your seat, you should sit up here. How dare they? I just, certain people I know where they sit, it brings me comfort to see them. How you guys Mm -hmm. doing? Right. All right, did it start raining yet? No, we're good. Is it raining over there? Inside? Yeah, do you feel it? Just a little? It's a holy water falling from the ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) okay why does that say 22 minutes am I crazy okay sorry we're starting this sermon's brought to you by ADD this morning Uh, hey so we're uh, week three of the series vibe check and the idea behind this series is that Uh, we would take a minute and just kind of check ourselves with uh, the vibes that we're looking at, that are vibes that we don't want to have. So, uh, and if you don't know what the word vibe is, it's basically just replace it with the word attitude. So week one, we looked at complaining. Uh, Last week, we looked at envy. And here we are in week three. So uh, one of the things I do uh, before I go to sleep at night is I read. And I don't want it to seem like I'm like smarter than I am, so I'm just going to be honest. I always read fiction. I don't read nonfiction. I'm never getting smarter before I go to bed. Um, And usually, I'll even be more honest. Uh, Usually, it's a fiction book about that usually has like dragons or swords in it somewhere. Like those are always those are the kind of fiction books that I really like. Um, So a good story always has uh, a main character who. There's there's usually two things going on. On one hand, they have like a conflict on the outside that they have to overcome, right? But also, there's a conflict on the inside that they have to overcome as well, right? Those are the best kinds of stories. Those are the ones we really, really resonate with. The ones where, um, yes, they're overcoming something in the world, but they're also overcoming something inside of them. uh, And by the end of the story, they're different than they were in the beginning, right? That's a huge part of what makes a story uh, compelling to us. Uh, so, and that, what that's called, um, is the, the literary term for is a round character that they are dynamic. They change throughout the story that they're, uh, they're going to grow. They're going to learn. They're going to change. Now, if I can take you back to 10th grade English class, um, there are some different types of characters in stories. Round character is one. There's also another kind called a flat character, a flat character, um, you can probably guess a flat character does not go through any kind of transformation through the course of the narrative. They stay the same, they're predictable. Once you learn about that character, they kind of you know what you to expect out of them. Classically, just think of like a character who plays the role of comic relief. They're always going to be the one to make light of a situation, to drop a joke, and they do it throughout the entire story. They never grow, they never change. They're just always that thing in the story. Some examples uh, Harry Potter, Crab and Goyle are flat characters. You know, Draco Malfoy's buddies, his lackeys, they, they don't change, right? They stay the same throughout uh, the story. Um, Spider-Man's uh, best friend, Ned, he's a flat character, right? Generally, he, he plays the role of the kind of the idiot who, who makes the joke all the time, right? He changed a little bit in the last one, but for the most part, you know what to expect when he opens up his mouth, um, if you do remember 10th grade English class, uh, Miss Maudie from To Kill a Mockingbird was a flat character. I'm sure you remember her. Uh, and then, really importantly, you remember this one um, Gretchen and Karen from Mean Girls. They, they were flat characters. They didn't change, right? They were stay, stay the same, tr- stop, stop trying to make fetch happen, it's not going to happen, right? Like, K- Karen was really, like, played the role of the ditzy friends of the evil. I'm going to stop talking because I'm going to reveal. That I know too much about this movie, I want you to at least not think that. Uh, characters stay the same. They serve a purpose in the story, right? But the purpose is one-dimensional, and they, you always know what to expect. Let me ask you something. Which would you rather be? Would you rather be um, a main character, a round character, or would you rather be a flat character in your story? That's not fair. Of course, Of course you have to answer, I want to be a round character. Uh, you, you want that main character energy. Um, you want to grow. You want to change. You don't want to be the same like when you end as when you started, right? And I don't mean I'm not talking about like when you're a baby. Of course, you changed since then. I more mean like when you leveled off at, at adulthood, whenever that happens, sometime in your 20s I hope, right? Like when you get up, are you the same person as you were? Like can I can't think of a – just imagine going to your like 20-year high school reunion and somebody walking up to you and saying, oh, my gosh. You haven't changed at all. Like on one hand, if they were talking about physically, you might be okay with that, right? Um, I would be like 70 pounds ago. Um, (laughs) But if they meant like who you were as a person, I can't think of a worse insult, right? That 20 years later, you'd be the same person. That would not be something you would want to uh, be said about you. You don't want to be flat. You don't want to not grow. You don't want to not change. You don't want to not learn. Um, But... We can all think of somebody in our life, even though you don't live in a movie, who's kind of like that, right? You have somebody in your life you can think of right now who they kind of play the role of a flat character. They stay the same. They respond the same way. You can predict what they're going to say, how they're going to act, because they really don't change much. And I'm going to assume that you don't... That probably causes some friction with you and that person sometimes. Um, you don't want to be a flat character. You want to be a round character. You want to be a main character. So I want to talk about a vibe today, a vibe that will stifle your growth, a vibe that will stop the change, a vibe that will suppress that main character energy that you actually want to have in your life. And that vibe is an unteachable vibe, unteachable, unteachable. Being unteachable is like the killer of growth in your life. It's the glass ceiling that prevents you from from moving forward. It's the thousand pound weight that holds you in place. Someone who is unteachable is not going to grow. They're not going to change. They're going to uh, be the same at the end of the story as they were at the beginning, unteachable. Now, I don't know. Like when I talked about complaining, I felt the room kind of like do this because you knew right? You knew that this is a thing that you struggle Many of you knew that this is a thing you struggle with. And even to a certain extent, last week we talked about envy a little bit. I could kind of feel like, oh yeah, I kind of do that. Unteachable though, is maybe a little harder to spot in yourself. Um, so I, I want to give you a teachable test, un, unteachable test. If you say yes to these, this is something that maybe you struggle with. You ready? Unteachable test. Ready? Grade your own papers. Don't lie to yourself. It's really pointless to lie to yourself. Why are you here? The whole, this is a weird sermon. Think about this where I'm teaching on being teachable. So like you can't get out from underneath this one today, right? Like you're pretty much stuck. I have you cornered. So, um, unteachable test. Here's the first thing. Uh, you say, that's just who I am. A lot. A lot, a lot. You say, that's just who I'm a lot. Um, sign of being unteachable. Um, Second thing, you haven't been wrong in a long time. You maybe don't even remember it. You have to go to the history books to remember the last time that you were actually wrong. Someone had to have recorded it to prove it to you as well. Um, next one, you don't apologize. You don't say, I'm sorry, my bad. Uh, Or if you do, it's a very specific apology. There's the whole body of what happened, and then you're going to apologize for this very specific tiny little thing down here that you need them to know that you're apologizing for just this and nothing more than this. (laughs) This is it, right? Or you say the whole, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way, which is not an apology. That's an attack. Nobody wanted to say amen to that? Okay. Well, good. You guys' marriages are healthy. Um, Constructive criticism angers you. When somebody tries to help you be better, it, 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 you bristle at it. And you don't even control that, right? It's not something you don't, like, think about it. Like, it just happens. You get angry when somebody tries to help you be better. Um, Another one, you care more about titles than you do influence. Titles than you do influence. And this one's interesting. Like, what does that have to do with teachability? A title is a, is a stagnant thing, right? Once you have a title, you have the authority to do whatever you want to do. But influence is fluid, right? In order to be a leader with influence, instead of a leader with a title, you have to grow and change and move. Like, that's the only way you keep influence, right? So um, if you care more about the title than you do the influence, that's a possible sign that you're not teachable. Uh, when you hear something or read something convicting, you think of other people who need to hear it, right? Like, you're going to share that sermon. You're going to suggest that book. You don't take it to heart. You want to give it to somebody else. Um, if you're 99% wrong on something, you will focus on the 1% that you're right on. Yeah. Okay, married couples, look straight ahead. Just look at me. This is a safe, <laughs> safe place. Um, but, you know, when you're like, you have a whole, like, there's an argument and you've got percentages of where they go. And you've got that 1% that you're right and you're 99% wrong. You just stare. At that 1%, that's unteachable. Um, If you consistently feel the need to add something to what someone has said, this is my favorite one. So like, and not all the time, but if you always are doing this, if you're always saying, yeah, and... Um, just think about what you're, what you're communicating when you do that is not only did I know what you just said, I know more than you, right? Like every single, if you're doing it all the time, just watch out. Um, if you interrupt others, obviously you don't even care about the rest of the sentence because you already know that. Um, and then the last one, you don't ask questions. You don't ask questions. Unteachable people don't ask. Unless you have an angle, unless you're setting them up for something, you don't ask questions because you don't need to know stuff. So there's your... Unteachable test how'd you do? Really good, really, really good so i don 't think this is like a black and white thing i don't want to say well, if you said yes to you know seven of those, you 're unteachable i don 't know um, i don 't think it's unteachable and teachable. I would like you probably to think of more of it like a sliding scale, like the super like stubborn i don 't need to know nothing from nobody kind of person way over here, and then the very flexible person over here who would say, man, I want to learn a lot. Let's be honest. You're probably neither of those. You're somewhere in here, right? You're in the middle somewhere. If I'm honest, maybe, maybe living over here a little bit, right? And that's, that's the part we, we don't, I don't want to say, well, I'm, I'm just a teachable person. I don't think we should make a black and white statement like that. I think you could talk about working on it. I think you talk about being teachable in some areas and maybe not in other areas, but there's, there's a scale here. The goal would be to get better at this. The goal would be to get better at this. So I want to start with a verse. It's a really important verse. This one, um, especially in this subject, it wouldn't come up if you were like looking up verses on being teachable. But I think this is probably still the most important one. Uh, Philippians 1 verse 6, it says this, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, that verse is awesome. I literally, um, as a pastor, one time somebody gave me a little plaque, uh, like one of those wood ones where the, this verse was like carved into it in cursive. Not really, I think, but um, it was like 10 years ago. It was a really, really thoughtful gift. Um, I think it was an insult as well, but we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> it was like an old lady going, yeah, God's still working on you. Um <laughs> But on one hand, this verse is really comforting. If you just read this, what this verse just said is that God's not going to give up on you. And that's really awesome to know that um, he began the good work. He's going to continue the good work. And he's not going to stop until it's finished. That he's never, never, never going to give up on you. And I love that. But there's also another thing kind of built into this. He said he started the good work. He's going to continue it. And notice when it says that he's finished. It's when Christ Jesus returns. Look around. I wouldn't be preaching if he had. He'd, be, he, uh, he'd get this. Jesus would be preaching, not me, just so you guys know. I'd gladly sit down. So he's not here yet, which means, which means, here's the sentence that I want to ring in your ears. You are always a work in progress. You are always a work in progress progress. Now, I know, let me just speak to the small percentage of the crowd that's the perfectionist that you're like, eh, you don't like that. I want to like be done. Okay, shut up. But for everybody else, this should be a relief. Shouldn't this be a relief that you're, you're always working? Progress. You don't have to like get to a point where you're supposed to have it all together. No, you are always a work in progress. I feel like this lifts the burden off. There's going to be, no matter how far along you get in life, there's always going to be a piece of your life that is under construction. Always. There's going to be scaffolding up somewhere and caution tape somewhere. God's going to be working on some part of you till your dying day. You are always a work in progress. God's not done with you yet. God's not done with you yet. You're not a finished product And that's important. I don't know what stage you're at, but like, I think we all have these maybe like unspoken, even inside your own mind, unspoken, like assumptions about life. Like when I hit 40, I'm supposed to like have it together, right? I'm 38, going to be 39. So I got, you know... (laughs) I'm on the clock, I have to have it together. That's absurd, right? Like there is no magic number where you have to have it all together. Um, You know, when I get that degree, I'm gonna be like done, I'm never gonna read another book again in my life. Please don't do that. Statistically speaking, it's pretty normal. But um, just because you get a degree doesn't mean you're done learning. Just because you have letters in front of your name, behind your name, doesn't mean you stop learning. Or just because you get a certain number of gray hairs doesn't mean you're like done growing, right? Um, My hair is strangely turning gray fast. I don't understand I think it's because I have kids and because I'm a pastor. So it's really your fault, actually. Um, But the beard's staying kind of dark. So I'm I'm good with that. Keep the salt up here and the pepper down here. Um, There's never going to be a point where you arrive. There's never going to be a point where you Arrive. Um, just that mentality alone should make a big difference when it comes to being teachable, I think. If you could just grab that, I'm never graduating from learning, I'm never gonna quit changing. An unteachable vibe is gonna have a really hard time getting a hold of you for, for if you really deep down inside understand that I am always a work in progress. If you really get that, it's gonna be hard for you to become unteachable. So that verse right there, flag in the ground. Now I want to define teachability. Uh, teachability. Uh, Two pieces to it. One, a desire to learn. Two, a willingness to change. A desire to learn and a willingness to change. That is what it means to be teachable. Um, And you need both pieces to this. It doesn't work if you only have one, right? If you have a willingness to change, but not a big desire to learn, it's just wishful thinking. Right? If, you, if you're like, hey, yeah, someday I'm going to be better, but you don't do anything about it, that's not going to take root. And then the opposite, I think is even worse, somebody who has a desire to learn, but no desire to change. No willingness to change. Those people are the worst. <laughs> the ones that have all the head knowledge, but their life doesn't look any different. You need both. You need a desire to learn and a willingness to change. Now, I actually believe that, Um, when God created human beings that we were, like our default setting was that we were teachable. I actually think that was a part of who he created us to be. But uh, when sin entered the world and and the world broke and we broke, that there was like a disconnect now that instead of being teachable, we kind of became unteachable. And there are now things in the way of us becoming teachable. So what I want to do today, I want to give you three things that block a teachable spirit in your life. So this is my mentality, and maybe it's wrong, but like, um, I believe if you remove these things, being teachable will flow. Um, but if you allow these things to stay, it'll, it'll block it. So instead of needing to create a teachable spirit, I'm just going to talk about it in terms of allowing one to flow in your life. And if you say, how do you know that? I don't know. I'm still flexible. I'm still learning. I'm still teach- teachable. I'm just kidding. Um, three things. One person got that joke. Thank you. Um, Three things that will block a teachable vibe in your life. All right, first one. <laughs> I was sitting in my chair this morning, drinking my coffee, fighting with myself over what I was going to call this first one. Um, I rewrote this whole section because I was arguing with myself about it. So what I've decided is I'm going to call it the thing that you would expect, and then I'm going to explain why I wanted to call it something else. Um, so the first thing that will block a teachable spirit in your life is pride. Of course it would, right? Pride, you know that the prideful person does not want to be taught anything, and it's, it's because of their pride. That, that's an obvious block, right? But um, here's what I wanted to call it. And the reason I struggle with this is I actually think they're very similar, actually. Like one actually is inside of the other one, but um, you might disagree. But what I really wanted to say is that the first barrier to being teachable in your life is insecurity. insecurity. Um, insecurity can cause you to be unteachable. And I think pride and insecurity are inseparable. Now, maybe you don't <laughs> maybe you don't like that, because you would own insecure, but you wouldn't own prideful. Um, and here I am saying that they're the same, and you're like, "How dare you, sir?" accuse me of this, but let me explain how I think they're very similar. So classic insecure person. Can you like imagine them in your head? A classically insecure person right now. Um, what are they like? A little bit socially awkward. No offense. A little bit socially awkward. Um, don't make eye contact very well, uh, has kind of an I can't attitude when it comes to things, low aspirations, no aspirations, criticism will just cause them to crumble into a pile. Um, They won't accept praise or compliments. They take everything a little bit too personally. They don't laugh or joke at themselves. Right? That's the classically insecure person. Um, But I want to I want to paint another picture of a person who is also insecure, but it's not as obvious. This person is arrogant. This person is defensive. Kind of thinks everybody's out to get them a little bit. This person's a know-it-all. This person's a much more aggressive. If this one was quiet, this one's loud. Criticism, they don't crumble under criticism. They get angry at criticism. They bristle at it. They're uh, a gossiper. They tear other people down in order to feel better about themselves. They hate it when other people succeed. They can't give a compliment. it's not that they can't receive one, they can't give one. They would rather do nothing than do something and look bad in doing it, and they hate uh, losing. <laughs> Both of these are insecure. One is more the obvious classic form of insecurity, but this one's got a hidden insecurity. Now, if you disagree, maybe you're like, I want to call those two different things. Hold up a minute. Hold them a minute. Because both the loud insecure and the quiet insecure actually both have the same focus in their life. You know what it is? Self. The quiet one and the loud one, both are focusing on themselves. One walks into the room and is, noti- is hoping that everyone notices them. The other walks into the room and is hoping that no one notices them. Both of their focuses are here. It's all about me. It's all about myself. It's all about how I'm perceived. One likes the attention. One hates the attention. But both are focused here. It's the same route The plant looks a little different on the outside, but it's the same root. And you know what the Bible calls a focus on self? Pride. It's like a big part of the biblical definition of pride is a focus on self. One of the definitions I saw, a focus or a preoccupation with self. If that's the definition of pride... It's just a focus on self. Um, then insecurity fits. Right? And I would say easily. We could easily say the sentence. That pride blocks our ability to be teachable. It's a little. Not as palatable to say. That insecurity blocks our ability to be teachable. But. I believe one of the main ways. Pride manifests itself in your life. Is insecurity. Now. Now. Um, this is why when somebody says, like, if you notice a prideful person, like an obviously prideful person, like, you know, that loud, arrogant type, we say something along the lines of, man, they need knocked down a few notches, right? We say stuff like that because we think that'll be the answer to their pride. But actually, all that would do is move their pride. Right? They would flip. If they get knocked down a few notches, they would flip from being the loud kind of, of insecure to the quiet kind of insecure. They're still... F- being knocked down a few notches does not take the focus off of you. Actually, it might make it worse. Right? You're still focused here. You're still thinking about you and how you're perceived. And, and everything is me, 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 me. So being knocked down does not solve a pride problem. And uh, so somebody... somebody uh, got after me a couple weeks ago because I hadn't quoted C.S. Lewis in a minute. So I'm going to quote him twice here, maybe three times. I've got one memorized too. But uh, here's his definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So the answer to pride is not, I suck. The answer to pride is not thinking about I anymore at all. Right? The answer to pride is getting the focus off of me and onto others. So one of the things I talk to you guys a lot, it's becoming a theme. I didn't decide this. It just happened. This is just where we are now. I talk to you about when you walk into a room, what your mentality is like, right? And the reason I do that, and I'm just going to keep doing it, um, is because I feel like, That's a huge part of what it means to be a Christian. It's not just all that stuff that you know. It's like, hey, where it actually matters. When you walk into a room and how are you going to act? How are you going to think about people? And how are you going to interact with people? What's your attitude? That's where your Christianity actually like the rubber kind of meets the road there, right? So your mentality when you walk into a room. A prideful person, an insecure, whether it's the loud or or the quiet kind of insecure. Their focus on when they walk into that room is them. Right? Who, what are people thinking about me? Either I want them to notice me or I don't want them to notice me. But a humble person, they're not worried about any of that. Think about what a, a person who is thinking of themselves less, how, what their mentality is when they walk into a room. The questions that you would ask then. It's not, how's my, how's my hair look? You know, it's my, how are my clothes on? You're not thinking about any of that. You're asking the question, God. Why do you have me here? Or God, who do you have me here for? Like, those are the questions you'd be asking as a, as a not prideful person, as, as a person who's, who's leaning towards humility. The focus is off you and onto what God's going to do in that room. Here's, a, here's the longer C.S. Lewis quote. I got a longer one. Here's what he says. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, That he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that he is nobody. He's not going to be that. Probably, you will think about him, uh, probably what you will think about him is that he seemed cheerful and intelligent. uh, Who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him at all, it's because you feel a little envious of anyone who would seem to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. So again, the kind of person that you want to be when you walk into a room, you, you, you don't want to be prideful. Nobody wants to admit that. But I'm gonna say, you don't wanna be insecure either because what that shows is your focus is on you. And you wanna get the focus off of you and you wanna be there for what God has you there for. And then my easy jump then is to say that that would be a teachable person. A person who walks into a room asking God, why do you have me here? Asking God, who do you have me here for? That person is a teachable person. The person who's insecure, who's all boxed up and worried about themselves, that's a really hard state to be in and learn at the same time. So being uh, insecure prevents a teachable spirit in your life. That's the first thing. Second thing. Second thing that can block up a teachable spirit in your life is a label that you have accepted on your identity, a label. Um, Once you, like on an identity level, accept a label, um, it can shut down uh, your ability to learn in that area, right? So, so for example, if you, if you accept the label, I'm just, I'm just an angry person. If you just accept that as a label and that's like who I am now, um, what you've done is you've really, you've really prevented your ability to learn in that area because you're, accept, you're saying, it's not something I can really learn about. It's just who I am now. So it won't matter how much learning you do if you just think it's who you are, right? I mean, you could read a book about being, uh, you know, how how to be a six, a person who's like 6'10", right? You could read a book, like, I want to be tall. And you could read a book about that. W- w- would you, though? Like, you'd be a little intrigued if it, like, actually promised. So you, you don't want to be 6'10", that's probably a little too tall. Um, whatever, maybe you want to be a basketball player, I don't know. But, like, you wouldn't read it because... That's not something a book could do because you know that you're not that. It's the same kind of thing. If you accept a label, you're not going to read a book about the thing that you think you are to change it. So if I would say, hey, here's a book about how to healthily process your emotions, you would say, I don't want to read that. This is just who I am. I I can't change this thing. It's just who I am. So a label that you accept can shut down your ability to learn in that area. So what labels have you accepted? And this, I want to point this out too, because when we talk about being teachable, um, we like to cover things like the blanket statement, either I'm not teachable or I'm teachable. But let's be honest, there are areas of your life where you're not teachable. And then you can have a lot of areas where you are, but then there are certain areas that you kind of put a fence around and say, hey, yeah, you can teach me a lot of stuff, but you can't teach me about this. I think that happens to, to all of us, right? That nobody's like perfectly teachable. We all have areas of our life where we're a little bit more rigid. We're a little bit more, you can tell me all that, but you can't tell me this. And most of the time, these things that we build fences around are pieces of what we've decided are our identity. And we don't want to hear it anymore. But these labels, man, as a Christian, uh there's some pretty spectacular things that God says about our identity. Uh, when we be, when we put our faith in Jesus, uh, 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, "This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone; a new life has begun. You're a new person now. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're a new person. No more old labels. No more. That's just who I am. Those are gone now. The old is gone. The new is here. That's not who I was. I, I'm 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 not that anymore." And I just want you, there's no, you know, there's no part of you that God can't change. He created you. The dude wrote your DNA. He could, I just call God dude. Um, He wrote, sorry. Uh, He wrote your DNA. He can change any. There's no part of you that he can't get his hands on and change in your life. It's for real. Don't kill me. Ephesians 4, 21 through 23 says this, since you have heard about. Jesus, and I've learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I I can't... (laughs) I was going to say I can't stand... I get very bothered by a Christian who has a defeatist attitude about an area of their life. Man, these, these verses say that there's no part of your life that God can't get a hold of. There's no part of your life that you throw your hands up in the air and say, this is just, this is just who I am. No, God can do anything. When he, when he came and, and, and now, if, if you really believe as you're a Christian, that the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of you. You really think God's you know up in heaven going, what are we going to do about Bill? He's just, you know, I guess that's just the way he is. Like, no, this is, you're talking about the God of the universe. He can do anything he wants. There's no part of you that God cannot get a hold of. Allow God to be the one to label you. You are who God says you are. He has naming rights over you, so a false label can kill a teachable vibe. So the first thing that can kill a teachable vibe, that can block a teachable vibe, is insecurity. The second thing is a label uh, that does not belong on your identity. The third thing, <laughs> I did exactly as bad this service as I did first service. Staring at the clock's not going to make it better, Adam. Third thing. Misunderstanding the gospel. Misunderstanding the gospel can block your ability to be teachable. Here's what I mean by that. Um, I, I feel like how I'm going to divide this into two pieces. There's a perception of what it means to be a Christian, and then there's a reality of what it means to be a Christian. So common perception of what it means to be a Christian is that you need to be a good person, right? That's, that's what people kind of think about Christianity, so, so with this one, if you misunderstand the gospel, you think that like God's opinion of you changes based on what kind of day you had or what kind of week you've had, right? Or you think God likes you more or less depending on how, how much you had your crap together this week. Or even worse, you think that you have to be like a certain percentage good to get to heaven. And that, and that is so common. That's such a, like a common belief that, and, and it kind of like makes sense on the surface. If you go, oh, you just got to be a good person to go to heaven. Right? I think a lot of people think that maybe you think that and I, like, let's, if, if that's where you're at, if you, if you came in here thinking in general, Hey, yeah, you got to be a good person to go to heaven like that. You know, bad people go to hell. Good people go to heaven. That just kind of makes sense. Maybe that's where you're at. Can we, can you walk, Walk with me through this for a minute. Let's mentally think about this. Because if you think that, if you think, hey, I got to be good to get to heaven. I got to be good to have a relationship with God. Immediately, another question pops up that you absolutely have to answer. And if you haven't answered this, shame on you. You need to answer this question. If you think you have to be good to get to heaven, the next question you have to ask is how good, right? You don't want to miss on that one, right? Where's the line? How good do you have to be? Because you could talk about, what do you think? I don't know. 51% good? Mostly good, right? As long as you get the majority, you're fine. That makes sense, right? As long as you're mostly good, you get to heaven. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you're type A. It's, you know, maybe maybe you're like, uh, 51% actually is an F. <laughs> maybe you got to be like 90% good. No, you went to public... or. Public school's 90, right? Private school would be a 93, right? You got to get at least a 93. Is that how good you got to be? you got to be, you got to get an A in life? You got to be 93% good to get to heaven? Or maybe some of you are like, no, actually I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. As long as I got a little good in me at all, like, you know, give me just 10, 20%. Are we okay there? Like, as long as there's something. We could argue for the whole spectrum. But can I just ask if it's true? Mm-hmm. we have to be good to get to heaven don't you think that God would have said how good right like wouldn't it be like the highest cruelty ever for him to say hey you have to be good to get up here and then when you say well how good he goes well you'll find out (laughs) like wouldn't that be like the cruelest thing ever for him not to tell us how good we had to be just guess did you know the Bible does say it though? It does. Jesus himself said it. Mm-hmm. You ready? To Matthew 5, 48, he said this, but you are to be mm-hmm. perfect, even as your father in heaven's perfect Shoot, you want to think the other word? Well, you're already blew it you could say the other word was <laughs> that's high right that's not 20 that's not 51 that's not 90 93 that's a hundred percent good I don't know you but I want to tell you that waved bye-bye to you a long time ago right you you failed on that one you are not that you're not and in case you want to argue that talk to your spouse I'm <laughs> um, just Romans 3.23 says this. It kind of puts a punctuation at the end of this. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So Jesus says you got to be perfect. Romans says you aren't. You aren't. No one has reached that standard. You you haven't done it. The standard is up here. All of us are down here. So what then? What do we do? Eat, eat, drink, and be merry. Say tomorrow we (laughs) die. This is the closest to heaven we're ever getting. If you really believe these things. See, this is where, when I say you have to understand the gospel, the first part of the gospel is understanding your current state. You're not perfect. You're falling short of God's glorious standard. This is a huge deal. But the beauty of the gospel is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Look at this. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So the answer is, is not you trying harder or you trying to make up for the things that you've done in your life. No, what the gospel says is that you're not good enough, but Jesus was good enough, is good enough. And God, then here's the beautiful part. God gets to keep his standard. He doesn't have to wink, wink, like let you in. Hey, I know you didn't quite hit that, but it's okay. He doesn't have to say that. God is perfect and holy. He can maintain his standard. Jesus lives up to the standard. Then Jesus died on the cross. He lived the life we were supposed to live. And then he died the death we were supposed to die. And this verse tells us that he took our sin. He took whatever percentage you didn't quite hit He took that onto himself, and he gave you his perfection. He gave you his righteousness. And the beautiful part about this is what the Bible says is that you don't have to do a bunch of stuff. You you put your faith in Jesus, and the exchange happens. It's no longer about how good you are anymore. It's about how good Jesus is and your faith in Him is the thing that enables you to have a relationship with God and a future home in heaven. Man, you know that already. Most of you know that already. But let, let, let me read you another one. Romans five eight says this: "But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, while we were yet sinners." Mm-hmm. It's the King James version. This is so important. So I may, maybe, you, maybe you haven't come to a place of faith in Jesus yet. This verse is so important to me because what this says is, is that you don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. You don't, you don't have to, like, God's up in heaven going, hey, you know what? Um, why don't you come to church for a couple months? Make sure you go to not those places on Friday nights like you usually do. Like, get some, get some good going and then I might die for you. That's not the way God works. He's not waiting for you to clean it up. He's not waiting for you to stop that habit and then quit that thing. He's not waiting for that. This verse says that he died for you in your worst moment. When you were at your worst, when you were at your weakest, when you didn't have anything together, when you felt like a piece of garbage, that's when he died for you. Then in your worst moment, when you needed it most. He's not waiting for you to get it together. And that's what's so important about Christianity. You if, if you're sitting here going, I ah, you know, I, I want to have a relationship with God, and I, I see what you're saying about Jesus, but I'm gonna I'm gonna wait, you know, maybe maybe try to be good for a while. It's not gonna work. No, no, no. This is the beautiful part, is that when you put your faith in Jesus, he then goes to work on you. You don't have to work on yourself, God's gonna work on you on the other side of you putting your faith in him. That's how it works. So listen, can I <laughs> Christians, stop getting this reversed, please. Christians, stop asking people to clean their life up before they come to God. Can we stop? Can we stop expecting people to act like Christians when they're not Christians yet? Can we quit that? Can we just invite them into a relationship with God, let them know that he died for them in their worst moments and not try to fix any of that crap before they come to faith in him? They don't need to. They don't need to. You can invite them into a church, into a relationship with him, right as they are. They don't have to do anything. But By the way, like that's so important to me. <laughs> Let me read one more and I'll tell you my thought there. So that's for somebody before coming to Jesus. If you're like, man, my sin is standing between me and putting faith in Jesus. No, your sin is the reason you need Jesus. It should not be a thing that keeps you away from him. It should be a thing that's drawing you to him. And then on the other side, Romans 8, 1, look at this verse, Christian. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. None. No condemnation. Christian, none. None. Do you, do you realize the implication of this? This is why Christians, you, you've got it all messed up. If you live your life constantly feeling mildly guilty, and then, well, I'll read my Bible for a couple of days, and then I'll come back to God, and then we're okay again. You've got it all. You've, you're misunderstanding what Jesus did. You're misunderstanding it if you live under any kind of guilt and condemnation. Because this verse says there's none left for you. That when you messed up, when, even if it was last night, even if you're sitting here with a little bit of a headache right now, that what, what this verse says is that God doesn't have any, any condemnation left for you. He poured it all out on Jesus. The whole thing. It's gone. There's none left. Like, So listen, this is really important too, because I feel like I want to be a church. This is gonna, I'm going to say it. I don't care. I'd usually say this stuff first service and not say it second service. Welcome, online tribe. I want to be a church where it's okay for you to be hung over. And here's what I mean. Somebody's like, amen. Um, it. I don't want you to feel like you have to run from God when you screw up. That's the stupidest thing in the world. That's the opposite of what we believe. Your instinct should be, I messed up. I want to I draw in. He, he loved me so much. He died for me in my worst moment. And this one's, this one's not my worst. I, I, I'm going to run to him. I want to be around God's people. I want to be back in fellowship with him. Mm-hmm. Your instinct should be to run to something that has to do with God, not away from him. If you really understand the gospel, this should be the first place you come. And that's why I think so many churches have messed it up because somebody's going to say online, like, well, well, see, pastor, he doesn't care about sin. No, I just know how to deal with it better than you. I bring it to him and he died for it. I I don't need to punish myself anymore. And I don't want to lead a church full of people who feel like you have to punish yourself. No, Jesus died for that. I actually think you'll live a better life if you believe that Jesus paid for all your sins, past, present, and future, than if you feel like you have to beat yourself up every time you do something stupid. You'll be better for it so what the heck does this have to do with being teachable two things two things I think you need to understand that will free you up to be I think the most teachable person that you can be two truths you need to hold at the same time we're usually really good at holding one or the other but you got to hold them both one you are deeply flawed you are deeply flawed Two, you are deeply loved. They're both true. That God sees you just as you are and he loves you right there. They're both true. They're both true. And a person who can live that way, a person who knows that I am a sinner, that I am always a work in progress, that that I can't get my stuff together, but I have a God who loves me and, and, and is working on me. That person is the most free person in the world that I don't have to punish myself. I don't, have to, I don't have to beat myself up or read my Bible for a week straight before I feel good. No, I know that I can run back to God the Father immediately. Immediately. <laughs> I love it. I got a little five-year-old son. When he r- runs up to me and he's this tall, so he grabs a hold of one leg. That's the best hug he can give me as he wraps his arms around one leg. I feel like that's such a, a perfect illustration of what we need to do every time we screw up. We just run up and grab whatever part of God we can get a hold of. And he's a loving father. He's not the kind of, ah, I'm gonna go figure it out for a while. No, he died for you. That's the most free kind of a human being that you can be. Free to make a mistake, free to be loved anyways. You're not gonna wanna keep sinning if you know you have a God like that. You're not going to want to. I don't need to guilt you into living the way God wants you to live. I, I think he wants to love you into it. I do. You're deeply flawed, and deeply loved. Worship team, why don't you guys come back up here? Okay. If, I, I just want to say, <laughs> one, if you've never, like, if you thought of Christianity as this, I gotta be good kind of a thing, man. I hope I hope I kind of squished that for you today. That that you would know that being a Christian means knowing that you're <laughs> knowing that you're flawed, knowing that you're a sinner, and knowing that you need you need something outside of yourself. And that something is Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian, to put your faith in him, to be forgiven, not to be good, to be forgiven. That's a Christian. So, man, if you've never if you've never accepted Jesus as your if you've never made that 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 commitment, that that statement inside your soul to say that uh, I want to put my faith in Him, man, today is the day. Lay it down. Stop trying to be good. Twenty percent good, fifty-one percent good, ninety-three percent good doesn't matter. It's not good enough. You need Jesus. Lay it down today, and you can pray a simple prayer. I think it's the start. It's the beginning of what you need to say to God, but the very first thing you can just say is, Jesus, I give you my life. You just lay it down. All of it, all of my striving, all of my trying, all of my wanting to be good, but not quite hitting it. You just lay it all down Mm -hmm. at his feet and say, I trust you. That's the beginning of a relationship with him today. And I want want to invite you to do that. So pray with me right now. Jesus, Mm -hmm. I want to be teachable. I know that there are areas of my life that I am not little bit of insecurity. A little bit of labels I shouldn't be accepting. A little bit every once in a while, just misunderstanding or forgetting your gospel Lord, that you love me anyways. Lord, I pray for the person right now who's has never accepted you as their Savior. Lord, break in. Soften their heart, open their eyes. want them to see. See the beauty of what you did, Lord they don't have to strive anymore they don't have to try anymore they can rest in you I pray for the Christian Lord who keeps acting like they got to earn their way up to you Lord I pray that they would lay that down (laughs) you paid for that sin they don't have to beat themselves up for it no condemnation none I pray that that would sink all the way down into our souls this morning that it would that this church would be a place that really, really, really gets a grip on the gospel that you have died for us, that we are deeply flawed and deeply loved at the same time. Oh Lord, I would love to see what would happen if the church got a hold of that. Help us get to it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.